Rocking chair, chair session. With Elisa Di Batista. Maria Teresa Barber. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another RCS Rocking Chair Sessions, Volume 141, with artist Nicole Maynard. Sahar, welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for sitting with us today. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) Oh, you get to hear my dog, Harry, right away. He heard your voice, and that was welcome, Harry. Oh, my goodness. Part of the visual <laughs> arts family. Um, we're there so you go. Down with us today, and um, I wanted to more or less start to jump in toward how did you get to Miami? Why Miami? Oh, okay. Well, um, there's lots of ways to answer that. There's the long version. There's the short version. So I will start. You can tell me if you want to know more. <laughs> um, so um, I'm from Boston. And um, I went to Mass College of Art and Design uh, there for undergrad. And um, I lived throughout the Northeast. Um, I met my husband, who was from New Jersey. Um, When I was in college, I was uh, working at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. And he came in with a friend. And I was selling tickets. And uh, he and his friend hit on my girlfriend and I. And at first, we didn't want to go out with them because we didn't know them. And they're like, oh, we're really bored. Maybe we'll go on the train. And um, at any rate, um, we liked each other right away. And so then I ended up living in New Jersey for 10 years after we dated long distance. I told you this was a long story, right? (laughs) We got time. We got time. (laughs) So, So he was a total stranger. And um, we did the New Jersey thing, and that was close to New York. Then um, we moved to western New York State near Rochester in the total boonies uh, for his job. And um, then our son got to be 10 and missed family, so we moved to Rhode Island, halfway between Massachusetts and um, New Jersey. And this is like the journey that doesn't end, really. But um, <laughs> so our son uh, finally went to college, and this was in uh, 2017. And my brother is in Fort Lauderdale. And um, being an artist, uh, Rhode Island has Providence and RISD, and there are a lot of artists there. So I made a lot of friends. However, um, there's not a lot of wealth. There's not um, the same art opportunities and contemporary art as in Miami. So I had to decide between New York, um, L.A., and Miami. And I was in a co-op gallery, the Bowery Gallery, for 20 years in New York City. And I felt like I kind of hit a ceiling. And part of that was uh, being a parent and not going to openings and being really in the groove and living in the city. But also there are so many artists there. So um, L.A. looked good, more expensive than Miami. Miami seemed to have more doors opening for artists and the sun and I just love it here so now I'm not moving I swear I'm done (laughs) that was a great answer with her why Miami and now that you're in Miami you um, are currently a resident and artist at the Big House Art Complex Um, what studio number Uh, 42 I moved recently I think it's 42 because that's the answer to life the universe and everything (laughs) from that book right oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, that's such a great book Douglas Adams, so true. He's a great, he's a really excellent um, author. Uh, and what made you go to the Bakehouse besides you found Miami? How did you find, because there's a few artist residencies here that we have yeah. in our city. Um, 
what made you select um, or attracted you to the Bay House? So my husband and I spent a year and a half researching Miami before we moved down because we couldn't wait to go, but we had to wait for our son to graduate. And so we take <laughs> these little visits to see our Basel and try to figure out what was what because there are so many neighborhoods in Miami. So I had to figure out where to live and where to have a studio. Um, so... Um, I was trying to figure out where are the artists, where are the the residencies, the the housing, the studios. And so my husband, talkative person that he is and good at meeting strangers, uh, we were in Wynwood and he walked into that store that has, um, I don't know if it's furniture and cars or music, something. But he talked to the guy and he was like, oh, you need to go to the bakehouse. So we went to the bakehouse and I met Harvey Zipkin as soon as I walked in the door, the photographer. And he was super friendly very talkative as well. And I fell in love with it. I saw Joe that was there. I'm like, wow, they have someone to help. They have a community kitchen. And and then it turned out that I have Harvey's old studio now, which is just like really good karma. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. So the bakehouse sold me on Miami, really. I just hadn't had that experience since grad school, you know, in grad school, you have everybody near you and yeah, great community. It's yeah, and and Maria. you moved. So you moved into the bakehouse already right away when you when you got to Miami. You already had that exactly lined right up. away. Wow. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So the movers. I mean, more. We went minimalist. So much, much, most of my stuff was actually art. It's, <laughs> it was a little overwhelming, but yeah. So it was a double thing. It's always hard for an artist to move a studio oh, while they're moving there. Living takes stuff. so long. Yeah, yeah. all your things your materials and mm-hmm. stuff you have to get rid of. Um, in terms of the move to the studio, what, how, ha- how do you feel your practice has changed from switching cities? Like what mm-hmm. have um, you got kind of, kind of like brought on into your practice from being in Miami or has your practice just stayed the same? Um, I think, you know, everybody's stages in life changes them. And, you know, sometimes there's a a loop around for artists where they, you know, go in a new direction, but then they go back to something they were doing before. So I think, you know, in grad school, um, I was at the University of Pennsylvania and um, I graduated in 96. And at that time, um, there were people were always saying you work big, you know, because it's, you know, I'm a, I do gestural abstraction and there's nothing like working big. So I still love that and working on a wall. And then, you know, I started doing more narrative painting, um, and something that's a little more figurative, um, as I moved around, uh, different types of storytelling. And then, um, in Rhode Island, I had a studio in my house and it really, backfired for me being in the suburbs and um, not really being able to move around. And so my work got tight. And of course, no one likes to admit that when it's happening. But uh, my aesthetic changed. It just um, and then I was isolated a little bit. But I did meet more artists that started to loosen things up. And then uh, right before I moved, you know, I found out how I could manage to work bigger. But then Miami and having a studio and having so many um, energetic artists around me, um, just change things. I felt I had permission to just go. Plus there are just more opportunities when you don't feel like there are opportunities. It's really, um, hard to take the plunge. You know, I maintained myself all that time, which was important, but, um, Miami really opened me up. 
Cool. Yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely want to talk about an exhibition that is up right now at the Bakehouse and um, it's probably going to be up for a little while longer because no one is allowed yes. to take it down <laughs> uh, right. or go into the Bakehouse right now. But it's a, it's an exhibition curated by Adler Guerrier, who is also an artist at the Bakehouse. And he in the talk that um, he gave... He was basically saying that your work was like the cornerstone for the exhibition, that it was kind of like starting yeah. with a studio visit that he had with you. And you uh, you have a beautiful series of um, of abstract paintings in the show. I think there are six. Um, I don't know if they are a series, but there are six paintings on a wall together right uh can you talk a little bit about that experience also like the exhibition but also the experience with adler and and the, and the work as well yes well um adler is a phenomenal artist and he's so articulate he's very poetic when he speaks and uh, you know i had him in for a studio visit And um, he and I clicked, um, you know, he's a painter and we had similar thoughts on color and um, talking about place. Um, so for me, um, the abstractions I do are grounded in uh, landscape and kind of an accumulation of memory so that I have information from living in all these places and a little bit of traveling um, that's visual. And um, I tell people also that Uh, being pre-internet, because I'm so old, <laughs> that I spent a lot of time looking out windows. You know, as a kid, you had nothing to do but look out the car window. And it's kind of like the Kooning riding his bicycle in Long Island that you just look and look and look, and it's kind of quiet. Uh, so I do collage and as well. And so these paintings are a fusion of places uh, kind of built through color and shifting planes. And the piece that you're referring to in the show Um, the six panels, it's three on top and three on the bottom. Um, the whole piece measures about four feet by five feet, I would say. Um, those panels are um, one artwork in the end. And so I was working with the composition in that um, your eye has to jump with the spaces between the panels. So how they're spaced is very particular. And I never thought I would be Uh, so specific about how I would want, you know, my work hung. But it was kind of like Saul Lewitt. I'm like, no, they have to be three inches apart in each direction because um, there's gestalt psychology, you know, where you study visual perception. And like, if you make a dot on one side and a dot on the other, your eye will connect them and make a line in your brain. So that's kind of the principle that these artworks are structured on. And um, yeah, the show is just phenomenal because Adler as an artist and a curator, um, he was able to really think visually as well as with the content. And if you stand anywhere in the gallery, you can have a line of sight that connects the artwork in such an amazing way. So I'm really thrilled to be involved in that. Yeah, yeah. And I think your work is, is also really stunning, I have to say. I mean, I've, I've known you for a couple of years now and I always kind of walk by your studio and, you know, say hi. And, but I feel like the, the way your work is featured in, in the gallery is just like I was really blown away. Like, it, looks like it, looks, it looks beautiful. And the, the grid that you are describing, um, I think it, it's, it's really um, <laughs> also kind of boosting your your artwork because it gives you like mm -hmm. this break right or it lets you kind of a it, you know c 
like you say, connect the dots in a way, but then it has like this rich color and this movement to it, mm -hmm. and and it's just like really exciting and beautiful. And I I, I agree with um, you know how this uh, so the 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 exhibition is titled Between the mm -hmm. something and the opaque, right? Um, yes, um, between the, oh my goodness, it's a long title, between the legible and the opaque. Legible meaning, and the opaque, yes. Uh, yes, meaning that, you know, how much you uh, visually describe something and make it clear to somebody or legible is one way of working and opaque, how much you hold back is another. Yeah. And I was thinking about the title because with abstraction, it's very frustrating to a lot of people that it's not that legible, that it's not very... Um, clear in what you're saying. And that's like an uncomfortable place, kind of like the difference between like poetry and narrative. Uh, so, you know, some people gravitated, you know, to it more than others. Yeah. But I feel like especially also with the sculpture um, that is like this big, big, big stone or oval which looks like a stone yes. um that the is Robert Chambers the Robert piece. Chambers piece yeah. uh, right in front of it. And then um, I know Gerby's artwork, like this reference references to landscape or like these orbits, right? Mm -hmm. Gerby Tizerskaya, and mm -hmm. I think it's really, yeah, I'm 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 really excited. But it's kind of like everything, kind of like is is bound back yeah. to your work, right? It's kind of like yours. Yours mm -hmm. is kind of like where everything gravitates towards at at the back wall of the exhibition so I thought that was really interesting well, you know what's funny about now that you mentioned Gerby's work is that she has these ceramic spheres and that you know they make the zigzaggy line on the floor towards my piece and I took photos of the installation where you could see her work in front of mine and at the same time I was teaching and I was teaching children about Buckminster Fuller and his um, domes and orbs and everything right and geodesic domes and um, now I have spheres in my work <laughs> it's kind of like wow. it all just leapt in I started to see Gerby's things in front of mine and the fuller things and so that in in working with the community uh things happen yeah 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 I'm 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 especially excited that the Bakehouse also has like more and more curators again, like a new program mm -hmm. again, because I feel like also with um, with your exhibition for new work at the, at the Bakehouse, mm -hmm. right? Which every artist usually mm -hmm. does at the in the after the first year after or the, the first, first full year. year. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Justin Long was a curator, I believe, for the right. when uh, when you were in there. We had um, when I was in that show, uh, we had Mindy Solomon work with us, you know. And I feel yeah. like these are really the moments um, next to the studio visits as well, that we, mm -hmm. which we had a lot, right? That mm -hmm. make the residency really like, um, yeah, special or like you know, kind yeah. of have these special moments, but. Overall, it's really like you're saying the community, right? It's really like mm -hmm, the, just mm -hmm. the, the people that show up there every day or however they can with their work. And I think that's really like what, what keeps you going also, I, I feel well, like. I think it's a unique place because, you know, in school, you know, sometimes artists are very competitive with one another, students. And the bakehouse, everybody is just warm and really supportive, which is so rare. Yeah. 
And there, there's a lot of room for collaboration. Um, can we speak mm -hmm. about collaboration at the Big House when it comes to how you met um, one of your fellow studio mates, um, Jason Aponte, and you guys decided oh, yes. to make a proposal and be in practically an exhibit almost right after you got in there. You just jumped in. You just arrived to the Big House and made a proposal and boom, boom, like things You're good happen. at your research, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a nice show. That was a great opportunity. Uh, so uh, Jason had approached me about it, and uh, he at first wasn't sure um, if he should make a proposal with another painter or someone in another discipline, you know, what would make, um, awesome. you know, the proposal have more punch. And uh, he was fascinated between um, where I decided to stop in describing something and where he felt he needed to keep going in figuration. So it's actually a similar uh, premise as Adler's show. Uh, you know, and um, the strangest thing happened as we began to, you know, hang our work is that our paintings had so many similarities that you would not have thought, like kind of uncanny. And if you looked at close-ups of them, which is uh, Jason's idea, he took photos and um, printed them out and hung them uh, with a foam core backing in the show and had uh, viewers try to guess whose was whose. And at one point we were hanging them and we weren't sure anymore. We're like, is that yours? Is that mine? I don't know. And um, then I had wanted to collaborate with someone in a 2D work. And so I said, Jason, why don't we just see what happens and I'll start a painting and I'll slide it under your door. So we used Arches Paper for Oil, which is what I've been using and that's in the show that's up now. And, <clears throat> and I would do something and kind of slip it under there and we would go back and forth three or four times. And uh, it was really neat to see how it evolved. And uh, the rules were, if you wanted to just totally paint over someone's section, you could. And uh, it was kind of amazing. We did three pieces and they became clear and we agreed when they looked done. So that was nice. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. that show now that, that Lisa pointed it out. And did you also do like a painting uh, that was evolving during the show? Was that in the hallway? Yes, we each would kind of, you know, sidle up to it when the other one wasn't looking and do a little bit more. And yeah, so, you know, now that I talk about it with you, I'd like to do more with that and yeah. get some other people in it. Yeah. Yeah, there's that, an that was really that neat. They both have. Yeah, I was mm -hmm. going to say the similarities. There's an element that they both have in there is that um, the, the, the layering, the, the removal of of recognizing something and then adding familiarity back into it. I feel like you right. you execute that with like topography or like you say landscape and he does that mm -hmm. with the the figure and reflection particularly and so yes. they do have um like a conversation in between each other that actually worked out really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um you let's let's go back a little bit. Um you You've been in like when you went to to grad school or even before that, when did it, that start for you, you know, getting like really into that um, art is something that you want to pursue, that that is what you want to go for to school? You know, it's kind of like this. Mm -hmm. When did that happen and who was important for you at the time? You know, yeah. When yeah. did it become more than just a hobby? OK, well, you know, I think artists um all come into art at different points. Some people do it towards the end of their lives. Um, I think for me, it was my whole childhood that I was um, always drawing, always drawing. And um, that was my way of having a voice. I would be drawing and reading and writing, you know, so that um, 
you know, was a constant. And it's kind of, you know, all the way up until today, you know, it's kind of a default, you know, when people have uh, a habit, whatever that habit is, um, you really go towards it. You know, when you're shut down in COVID, what are the healthy things you've set up for yourself in life that you can just turn to? So, um, so there's that. And then uh, I had an uncle who was an artist and he was a painter and uh, he always gave me really special presents and, you know, art supplies. He gave me um, an oil painting set. I think I was about 10. I had no idea how to use this thing. It came in the wooden case. It was beautiful. It had the turpentine. And all I knew is it stuck to my hands and I closed it. I was like, no. <laughs> you know? And little did I know, you know. And, you know, in middle school, you go through that stage where, you know, you want control. You want it to everything to look right. And paint was just sloppy, goopy. What the heck am I supposed to do with that, you know? So I just stuck with the Crayola Caddy and the markers and that was my thing. Um, then, you know, boys happened and that was a distraction. So I stopped for a little while. Uh, but in high school, I, I went to a school that was small and all girls and um, they valued academics and didn't see art as an academic subject. However, no art teacher. They did decide art appreciation was, you know, OK. So we got an art appreciation teacher. Uh, she gave the assignment of copying a masterwork, which is, you know, such a general thing. But I, you know, got very involved and kind of rekindled, you know, this um, way of being that I had, a way of communicating. And uh, the teacher gave positive feedback and, you know, it's like, did you think of art therapy? And I'm like, oh, what's that? I have no idea. And so I, I looked into that, but that wasn't quite right for me. But then I um, investigated more and I double majored with painting and art education. And uh, that kind of took me off from there. Then I, then I just went for it. Wow. And you've, Can you've you oh, sorry. go ahead. And you've been also like teaching art ever since you graduated from school. Has that been a constant or did you take is is that I know that you teach now in Miami, mm -hmm. right? Have you been teaching yes. like uh, all through? Uh, It's been sporadic because, you know, my first um thing that I do, the constant is painting mm -hmm. and, um, art education. Um, I always loved it. And there's always been the balancing act of how to do both just as a double major, you know, you don't have a lot of other choices when you have a double, you don't have a lot of other electives. That's all very absorbing. Um, so, um, my student teaching experience in college, um, was racked with stress because I just didn't know how to handle children because, you know, I wasn't that old and uh, had never babysat. And I was, it was just a disaster. And I was like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Like the, the, you know, the teacher that I was working with said, I don't think this is for you. I didn't, and I said, maybe I'll teach college. And she said, What makes you think think you'll be any better at it then? And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> so Whoa. I ignored her. I know she was really not very nice. And <laughs> so I went to grad school and I was like, I think I can do this college thing. So I did. I became um, uh, an adjunct professor at Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. And uh, I still wasn't that old compared to my students' age, but that was a great program and a great experience. And then being a mom, it's like, you know, okay, I, can I teach paint and be a mom? I just don't think so. <laughs> so the yeah. teaching went to the back burner. And uh, then, you know, you kind of adjust to, you know, you're changing life. And um, having a kid meant that I could still paint and still show my work. I could manage that. 
around a school schedule and uh, kept showing in New York. So, so that was the heart of what I wanted. Um, but then in high school, my son spent a year in France when he was only 15. So rather than cry in the corner, I was like, why don't I go back and get my certification because adjuncts get paid squat and this is ridiculous. So, <laughs> so I did that. And, um, I discovered I really loved kids because mine was getting all grown up and um, they're really creative. Like you would be surprised at what you can do and you teach and you, you know, so um, it worked out well. And uh, I'm teaching at Miami country day now with over 400 students, which is way a lot, (laughs) but um, now I'm managing that with making art. And I love that. That's wonderful. And that's Scott really is cool. also there, right? Is Scott? Yeah. 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 That's amazing. He's a high school English professor and yeah. an artist. I'm so impressed with his work that he's just taking photos all the time while he's teaching oh, and they're yeah. stunning. And yeah. he's writing as well. I just recently got his new book um, of writing and photographs. He's, yeah. And I also want to. He's wanted, a Renaissance man. Yeah, he is. Um, but I also wanted to talk to you about a series that. Um, I always very much appreciate it. I, I don't think I ever told you that, where uh, you also combine writing with um, with paintings or yes. on the yes. iPad. But you, I, I don't know if you only do that, do that only on the iPad, or if you do that, um, you know, on paper as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that series, but also yeah. uh, that series, but also how teaching influences you? Because that's the other question. Right. So go ahead. Right. Well, everything's in the mix. You know, I believe believe as people that everything we're doing goes into the pot and you don't really know um, how that's going to work out. Something that seems like a distraction ends up being fuel, you know. So uh, with the poetry series, Uh, It ties into teaching and family again, because uh, uh, we have to, as teachers, have a professional goal. And sometimes you're assigned a personal goal, too, to help you stay sane and have a well-rounded life. As an artist, you have that anyway. But I I had an additional thing, check, you know, check the box to do. So I said I wanted to read Leaves of Grass and, you know, reading is one of those things where I love it, but it also can fall by the wayside. And so my son Luke gave me Leaves of Grass two Christmases before, and I had not read it yet. So I was going to do it. And I had tried reading it 10 years, maybe 20 years before, and I couldn't focus on it, you know, and then I was in my early 20s. But now, you know, I'm uh, 49 and I was able to sit down with Whitman and dive in and, um, It's kind of, poetry is nice because you can do it in chunks. It doesn't have to be one sitting. And I was just so amazed by the poems and uh, the thoughtfulness and um, the the visual qualities of them and the sensory qualities. Like Whitman was so much about um, sensation, you know. And um, so that's how that started, combining uh, my favorite excerpts with imagery. Mm-hmm. And that was on the iPad, right? Do I remember that right? Or was it? Uh- yeah. Um, so, you know, writing uh, with the Apple Pencil came very naturally. I had spent um, two years working on a graphic novel memoir where I combined text and images on the iPad. So I had missed working in that medium. Um, and I have done some of the poetry pieces uh, by hand on paper, but Um, I'm also fascinated with the quality of color that could be happening in an iPad image. Um, And at at first, like I wanted to test um, originally 
in 2011 when I started with the iPad, you know, could a digital image hold up to painting? Because there are always naysayers. No, it's not the same. And um, I just was in love with the pressure sensitivity as that evolved and, and this glowing color. So, yeah. Yeah. Can you I, press directly? Oh, sorry, Maria. Go ahead. I, I remember... Actually, I don't remember who it was, but I remember at the De Young Museum, there was an artist, uh, an older guy artist, very famous. I totally don't remember his name, who also had like iPad paintings next to like the regular big, large paintings, you know, and it's it's really interesting. I have to look up that show at the De Young Museum, probably 20. 12 or something like that when I was in San Francisco and I was also like thinking wow this this and I loved the iPad from the beginning because I feel like the iPad I I was doing music on there I never painted mm -hmm. that much but I, I I like to kind of like do all, all kinds of other creative stuff with the iPad so it was like something that um yeah that just opened up new ways right um, yeah, it's surprisingly intimate because yeah. you can hold it like a sketchbook. It's different than working on a desktop. But was it David Hockney that you saw? He's yes. uh, pretty famous for his iPad things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that mm -hmm. was him, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask if you directly press onto the iPad or if you use like a Wacom tablet, which is like more traditional with like graphic design artists. Like which do you... So when I first started using the iPad and there weren't stylus, my fingers used to cramp up. <laughs> so that was crazy. I was just uh, going to get carpal tunnel. But um, now I use the, the Apple Pencil and it's just like drawing in a sketchbook. It's a beautiful line. Yeah. Let's see. I also wanted to inquire, I interrupted Maria before, but of the pieces that you were asked to recreate by your um, professor for your art appreciation class, what piece mm -hmm. did you decide to recreate? What oh, okay. Well, there were actually two. Um, one was an anonymous uh, French um, artist um, that might have been from the 1800s, and it was just a simple bird and a flower and an outline. Um, and but I love anonymous because that's there are so many great artists named anonymous, and I feel like I might be anonymous too, and <laughs> maybe one piece survives, and that's okay because anonymous is great. But um, after the rocking chair session, though, who knows? You know, I'm in the archive. <laughs> you're you're but, gonna um, be in the archive, all right? Not anonymous yeah. anymore. <laughs> the um, the other piece was a Picasso cubist still life um, that was in browns and tans with a white outline. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, even drawing that, um, was helpful in thinking about all these, um, ways of looking at forms in terms of planes. And I remember doing it in colored pencil and then using a paper clip to scrape out the white outline. And it was kind of scandalous because there was a, a nude bust in that one. So all the high school girls were like, ah, so funny <laughs> memories. Yeah. I was asking because the, the follow-up question question was like what master artist did you look up to when you were in school and you were starting to right. figure out for your own like what you wanted to paint and what you wanted your you know like your themes and your artwork to look like and aspire to and you mentioned Picasso a little bit I was thinking like the, the abstraction of it all you know like the, mm -hmm. the removal of the 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 literal and just like reimagining reimagining and you mentioned memory and I think reimagination and memory go so like hand in hand um, so, yeah. So I was curious. Any other artists that you admired? Um, it's kind of everybody, right? You have a long, you know, a whole laundry list of artists, um, especially painters. And I think that 
uh, you know, there's Bonard, there's Motif, there's Van Gogh, there's everybody. And you kind of um, grow from, you know, first diving into basic art history as a student and expanding. Um, I think I had to play catch up after graduating in 96 to um, get on board with contemporary art movements. I had to do more research because you're not in the environment where there's whole bunch of artists with you and you're bouncing ideas so um so you know i've been more i've done that and that's expanded my view and it challenges me to question you know how i make art and why you know but as a painter i feel like this is my niche and um going deeper uh in a focused way um has yielded some great stuff but one artist that people might not know about who i really love is uh, charlotte solomon and um, she actually died in the Holocaust, but she made 800 paintings um, in her 20s during the time wow. when um, she was in hiding. And she used to sing while she painted, and it was all autobiographical. And so she made this book that's so complex, referencing music and poetry, and it's, they're really extraordinary. So if you go online and look up Charlotte Salomon, it's uh, spelled like Charlotte, you can access her work. Wow, that's phenomenal. And it's also like something painting? that's incredible. Wow. It's also something that you're like you you were also talking about a book maybe that that's that's something right. that you're are you still working on that book or did you publish it already? Um I did a little self-publishing thing and um it's yeah so it was personally fulfilling. I'm proud of what Thank you. I'm proud of what it is. Um, I think, you know, it was really difficult to approach uh, publishers um, to get it pushed through because as a colorist, it's in color and it's huge mm -hmm. and it's very expensive to print. And although there is um, a trend for uh, memoirs in the comic book form, it's still very niche and people go out on a limb, you know, with it. So but I'm happy that I did it. And um, now I've gone on to other things. I remember that was also in the I think in the show in the show that Justin Long created that was an accordion book right that you put in there uh, the one that's up now is an accordion book oh the one that is that is up now right yes. now oh so you yes, have two pieces in, in the show right mm -hmm. right so the accordion book it's interesting it's placed low on a pedestal like yeah. really low on the floor so it kind of picks up on Gerby's zigzag and the accordion zigzags But um, the comic book art has a connection with my current painting uh, that I had only realized recently, which is that um, in comics, you have the panels and the spaces between the panels. Yeah. And someone came to my studio recently and, and talked about liminal space. And I was like, okay, I have to look up what liminal means. And it's like the idea and the spaces in between things and how like time can be in one section and then move to the other. So in a way, I'm still thinking about that space and connections of moments. Yeah. But also, also this idea of like telling a story through the panels, right? Uh, mm -hmm. you know in that way in that you know how the story moves and I feel like with your six panels it's also kind of a I don't know where the story begins or if there is a story mm -hmm. you know in that sense but I would say it would begin for me like the left upper panel is kind of where it begins and then it moves more like circular I don't know why mm -hmm. that's I'm making that yeah. up right now but you could like You could like totally move the other way, but it's still kind of like hinting at a at a storyline, even if it's like, um, you know, uh, what you would do for a movie like um, um, storyboard, a storyboarding, mm -hmm. right? Where you mm -hmm. also have mm -hmm. like you draw this 
rectangles or squares and you fill it in with a scene. I feel like your work is very scenic in that way that it has like movement. Right. It has like storytelling to me. I don't know. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, funny because with the left to right, it's kind of like how we read as Westerners. So yeah. someone else might have a different experience. Yeah, that's true. I was about to say the same thing that we read from left to right. And also when you mentioned and you describe the importance of the space in between them, how that in, in itself becomes a piece of the artwork. It makes you think of the artwork as a whole. Like, granted, they're like separate little elements, but it, it becomes one full um, gridded image in the end. I wanted to well, ask about your... Yeah, yeah sorry, you first. Oh, just to, to finish up on that piece, um, the story behind it, I suppose, is that um, I had gone to the Metropolitan Museum in New York to see the Delacroix rep- retrospective right before that. And um, he uses this blue and red throughout a lot of his paintings. And that color just totally fascinated me. And um, he has a lot of scenes with boats. And so the painting I have in the show uh, has kind of water elements on the bottom. It does feel like rocking as well, even though there's other landscape elements in it. But what was cool was I went to the show with Barbara Grossman, who is my professor from graduate school, and we're old friends, and she's just brilliant. And I was like, Barbara, remember, you know, the Delacroix, how did he get that blue? Because you know, if you are a painter, you can buy a whole bunch of different blues and none of them equal blue sky exactly. And no matter how you thin them and mix them, it's very frustrating. And but this was this blue water. So she knew exactly. She's like, oh, get manganese blue and phthalo green. And if you mix them, you will get because they're both kind of transparent. So I owe a lot to her for many reasons. That's phenomenal. I was going to talk about the color choices that you make um, as a you know, self-described painter between transferring from the digital to an actual oil painting versus making these collages. Like, how is it that you select the uses of material and, and colors within your artwork? Like, what what goes into that? Like, does a piece call for it or it's just like what you have at the studio at hand in the moment? So a lot of it is improvisational uh, and based on experience with using color. Um, but it's very tricky because Um, As you use color, you know, you're using paint that has different viscosities to it. um, You have this gunk that you're handling, and sometimes it could get clogged up, um, and uh, sometimes it can be really luminous. So you're always fighting for that clarity, which is what makes oil painting uh, difficult for some people. And uh, when I was younger, I had to use a lot more paint. And uh, but if you use too thin paint, then the canvas, you know, looks starved in a way. So it's kind of a back and forth with that. Yeah, I was very curious to know, because you mentioned the starvation of of painting when you're a beginner. And I remember I've only painted once in one art class and I used so much paint thinner that it basically looked like invisible color. And the teacher was like, no, you're using too much paint thinner. So I was because when you look at your painting, they're they're not thin at all and they're not gunky either. There's Mm -hmm. a balance like there's just the right amount of meatiness on the canvas. Mm but just enough that it also allows the the colors and and the layers to not fight and compete with each other, but live harmoniously. Does that sound Mm -hmm. kind of like it? Yeah. And, you know, I find that um, the colors are pretty bold often and that I really have to space out works when I hang it in a show because they can really play off each other. So, yeah, it's a little bit tricky. Maria? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are um, a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, the f- one of the things is also uh, commenting on the situation that we are right now, 
which mm. is um, you're you're probably also using the the digital e education right now. Are you? Yes. Um, and also like the art practice, how you're continuing your art practice, but also how you're just dealing with this whole situation, which because it's like so um, unique. In yeah, this how are you coping how are you doing well, this um you know it's really a back and forth and i see so many cartoons online like in the new yorker and memes where you know people are fine and they're doing their thing and then you know they check off the box that they've eaten something in the fridge they didn't know they had and you know then all of a sudden they're crying on the floor And like, I had so many days, like I'm working out on the balcony, I'm shaking my cans of beans for weights. And I'm like, this is great. It's sunny. Thank goodness I'm in Miami because there's sun. But, but then like yesterday I just had a total meltdown and burst into tears. And because the online teaching is super stressful, it's you so know, Elisa really is, is doing that too right now. I, yeah. I, we are like the museum is only preparing materials for teachers right now. So I, I haven't had the pleasure yet of online teaching, but uh i can only imagine how stressful that must be well you know i think all the teachers really miss the kids because there's nothing like face to face as we all know you know yeah. the technology is um you know a phenomenal way to connect and then it's a barrier too so you know i really miss all the funny things my students would say and uh and being able to comment on their work in progress because now they have to upload things to me and it's a different experience. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the same time, you know, I'm challenged and grateful to still, you know, have the connection with them and trying to plan lessons that, you know, bring them some joy. So there's both things, but you know, it's very hard for parents too, because there's a whole new tech curve, to, you know, to do and, and they want their kids education to go smoothly. And uh, yeah, it's a challenge, but I think it'll work out. It's just getting over the initial shock, shock. You know, of how to do yeah. it all. Yeah. How do you do it? There's no really recipe book for this. It's all new. Yeah. So you, you give them uh, activities to do at home and they have to take a picture and then you talk about it in the class or you're giving feedback. Right, That's right. It, so we're mm -hmm. figuring out, you know, how to do a combination of recorded lessons and some live things. Um, but, you know, it's difficult because when you're teaching, you you know, can support individual students in a unique way when you're right next to them that you can't through a screen. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. That's rewarding. So I'm glad I'm doing it. It takes me out of my own head. I yeah. was going to ask, because Maria mentioned practice. Um, do you have materials at home to continue working offsite? Not in your studio yeah. at the Bakehouse? So, you know, at the Bakehouse, they announced before anything was officially closed, if you want, you know, some things, you should get them so you could work at home. So, you know, now I'm back in the crammed idea of a studio in my house. Like my work, you know, was in Rhode Island where it tanked. <laughs> so I'm like, oh no, I'm not working big. I can't work on the wall, but you know, I can still do collage and work on the iPad. And, you know, that is very satisfying, but then, you know, there's kind of the nagging thought, you know, maybe this isn't going to work out. And then at the same time, I'm like, maybe I just have to think of something totally new, which sounds great, but I'm really focused on a particular thing. But I did bring, you know, these really large sheets of black paper um, home with me that um, are kind of three feet tall by two feet, which is totally ridiculous because I have to store them behind the couch and wrap them up and pull them out. And, you know, first, you know, my husband was on Zoom and there was this big thing of cardboard behind him. And so then I did the thing like when you're in your 20s, you put fabric over everything. So but I'm like it's worth it because they're big and, you know, so. 
I don't know. What, what about you guys? How are you sustaining your practice? Well, uh, I, Maria. <laughs> I started to sew. Uh, this is the prototype of my awesome face masks now. Oh, my God. And I already fulfilled my first order today, which is kind of cool. I, I made them that out of cool. um, a, a fabric a shower curtain cover, right? So oh. I washed it and I, I'm, I'm making probably 25 masks or something, um, something like that. But I ran out of the string that you have to attach to the masks because you're supposed to kind of mm-hmm. sew the fabric really nicely. And I'm like, hell no, I just used the border, but I ran out of border, so I need some string. But yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I'm doing some weavings, you know, like the little loom, the, the lap loom. Mm-hmm. I've been doing weave, a weaving a day to keep me sane. A weaving a day. A weaving a that day. That adds up to a big weaving, it's, possibly. It's like my hashtag, stay home weavings, you know. It's like <laughs> mm-hmm. people are asking me, what are those? And I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I'm just doing them, you know. But I'm having mm-hmm. fun with that. And then Elisa is teaching as well. Um, yeah, I'm teaching online. Um, I don't know. I think I've since leaving the bakehouse, you started in 2017. And we met when I was on my way out. Um, so mm-hmm. I've been orphaned for the past three years. So I normally don't make any piece um unless it's for an exhibit and in the meantime i just use my sketchbook to make ideas because the the materials i use are expensive and the space that i that they take up i really work large so they have nowhere to put them so it's for me it's mostly sketchbook looking at things i like in terms of like material not so much an artwork but like materials i really fancy and i'm like oh i like that and then i'll put that away in my folder with all the things i like to use and so still being visual but not actually physically making so i'm getting kind of anxious to physically make so perhaps I'll try that um during this indoor stay home which I don't really mind I think it's yes. important to protect people so I keep that in mind is that your puppy that yes Carrie is very talkative Aww. god help me but you know in 2017 when I met you you were doing um, a spontaneous poetry thing with the Biscayne poet in the bakehouse oh, and your typewriter yes. set up. And I had to give you six words for you to yes. turn into a poem. And you wrote about teaching for me because that was one of my that words. Was, so it was kind of a neat connection. That was so fun. Yeah, I think I was, I've been thinking of doing haikus. Like you said, something that's more spontaneous, easy mm-hmm. and light. And poetry, oh, poetry month. What is it? Oh, Miami's coming up now in April. Yeah. It's April. Yeah, it's, it's online already. this year. Mm. <laughs> So there's, they have online programming, which I think is something really great. And um, I would say it doesn't matter about the cardboard and the bed sheet over the couch. You have to do what you have to do. <laughs> you have to get through, coffee. right? Yeah. Yeah, you really do. Marie, but, I believe, has one final question. But before she asks you, um, looking into the things that you mentioned, you wanted to pause that you, the projects you've had to leave behind in your studio. Is there anything that you're looking forward to um experimenting with like outside of the box you mentioned this big black piece of paper you're going digital as well like is there anything that you're willing to share with us that you're thinking of um kind of sort of just like saying what the hey and just like giving it a go in your in your art practice while you're indoors well the spheres just rolled into the work and so then you know i don't know if those are working what are they doing there you know but it's kind of interesting that they're sort of peeking around corners now in the pictures because you know when i go to take out my dogs you have to do that social distancing thing so you see a little friend a little sphere somewhere but you can't engage and you have to kind of duck and like this is the weirdest thing ever so i think there's a narrative that's starting to happen in them yeah i look forward to seeing that maria 
Um, yeah, when you were talking about uh, the cartoonist, right? Like, I'm reading the New Yorker. I always get the New Yorker, and also like uh, the New York. Is it the New York Times? I'm not. No, not the New York Times doesn't have cartoons, right? I think it is the New Yorker. They do. No, not the yeah, the New Yorker. Right. The New Yorker, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, I feel uh -huh. like I have this newfound appreciation for cartoonists because at this moment, you know, it's sometimes you just need like. A good laugh, you know. You just need to right. kind of like. I I read this. Um, the new the New Yorker just came yesterday, I believe, and there was this story of this cartoonist that is at home, having to deal with homeschooling, and she just basically wants to lie in bed and and cry. But then that was was what her depressed mother always did and she doesn't really want to repeat <laughs> that for her child. And you know, she, just a story. It was just so refreshing in a way. Um, I, I really have this newfound appreciation for cartoonists. Uh, it's it's great. It's great. Yeah. But um, yeah. our final question, I can't believe it's already, it's already time. Mm -hmm. But um, so you've been sitting in an imaginary rocking chair. Imaginary. It's imaginary. I knew it was coming. But it's also magical. <laughs> no. And you knew that it was coming. So it was kind of like in your head yeah, already. Yeah. It's in our heads. I miss I miss the rocking chair. I'm, we I'm miss honest. The we miss the chair. rocking chair. I didn't get to sit in the rocking chair. Oh, my goodness. I know. Sorry. But you know you get to when we take the picture. Yeah. So you're looking you forward to that. That's the, that will that's the perk. Um, but you're still going to get three wishes. So okay. um, the rocking chair has only... Um, one rule you have to say them out loud for it to come true so what are your three wishes well how easy is it for me right now to make a wish oh my goodness so number one is that covid will be over and we'd be set free right check that box yes walking chair make that happen <laughs> so once you take care of that for me um we could move on to um the second one which is that you know all the community building that's going on and the support for each other that's happening through this would just continue you know yeah and uh the third one would be for fair elections right yes so yeah those are three great wishes we're so mm -hmm. grateful you had the chance to sit with us we know this is oh, a very so much uh, fun. different Thank setup you. Um, I always tell Maria that they go too fast and I wish they were two or three hours, but you know, the psychologist and her says, no, it has to be 15 minutes, boundaries, but um, we're boundaries. you took the time to sit with us and we look forward to seeing you again in person. Thank you. Alrighty. Me as well. Thank take you care, so you much. And take right, care. Be safe. Let me know if you need a you mask. Well. I'll make Don't you wear it. Right. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. -bye. bye, -bye.